Hello, it's John Dennis on Tuesday the 22nd of December. Today, how a British botanist discovered a new species of plant during his lunch break, one of 250 documented this year by Kew scientists. And I just happened to take a different route one lunchtime and came across this plant in full flower, realised it was from the group that I'm working on and quite quickly realised it was a new species. We go back to Cumbria to find out how people affected by floods a few weeks ago are preparing for the festive season. And Sam Jones and the Lego-related Christmas present of Quick, Doom. Spring the trap and make your escape. You control the adventure with a new Temple of Doom from the Lego Indiana Jones collection. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk. First, Eurostar hopes to run limited service today for the first time since Friday. Chief Executive Richard Brown apologised to passengers, saying weather conditions in northern France have been the worst in Eurostar's 15-year history. Eurostar has also ordered an independent review into the problems, which left 55,000 passengers stranded. I spoke to some of them at St Pancras International. We've been here like for 48 hours. Uh, we don't have money. They don't like. They don't care about us. They just say like, you 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 will be reimbursed. And we are young. We are students. We don't have any money. We cannot even tra- travel or nothing. We don't have a hotel. Nothing. And we just ask what we what we should do. And they say, it's not the the no whole problem if you travel without money. I say we didn't travel without money. We are not expected to pay uh, other hotels. And we don't have any money. We cannot move. We cannot stay anywhere. And they just say wait. But they say don't no train until tomorrow. So. What should, they, should we do? We don't know what's going to happen. They're not even sure if there will be trains running tomorrow either. So, yeah, it's, they're really bad with information because if you talk with uh, several people from the crew and one person is saying, well, there will definitely be trains tomorrow, and I'll say, well, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. So it's all the lack of information that's really a problem. Yes, and, and um, so what about uh, alternative means of travel? Because some people are taking planes and boats to get across. Yeah, but the weather is so bad, so we're not even sure, and the planes are all full, and a, a lot of planes are being cancelled. Um, the trains to Dover, they're not running, so we just we're stuck here. And just hoping that there will be a train. Yeah. We're even willing to go on the test trains now, but yeah. <laughs> How long have you been waiting here? Since 4 o'clock this morning. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> We're going to stay here until until the service gets back anyway, so we don't have any other you know, sources, so we're going to stay here. No, even if that means waiting until tomorrow? Or, yeah. yeah, we're going to spend yeah. the night here. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, what are they saying? Are they giving you enough information? Do you know what's going on? Well, when we came this morning, they were actually so sure about us getting the, uh, the train to Dover, and we, were, we kept telling them that, that there's no service from Dover to Calais, but they kept they kept telling us. So we went to queue for two hours there, and two hours later they told us that apparently there's nothing going on. So we, we came back here to wait until something goes. Transport correspondent Dan Milmo, we heard some pretty fed up Eurostar passengers there. Better news for them today? Yes, there, there should be. I mean, it's all contingent on the weather, which frankly doesn't look good uh, either north or south of the channel. But yes, there's going to be around 26,000 seats um, carried from London to Paris and Brussels and back again, which is about two thirds of their uh, average daily schedule. And that will be used to hoover up um, passengers who should have travelled over the weekend and obviously couldn't because they were either stuck under the uh, channel or um, just couldn't travel at all. 
But with uh, Eurostar not even running a full service, let alone extra trains, how, how will it take the backlog of passengers, 125,000 people, home for Christmas? Well, you've got to presume that those 125,000 people did want to get home for Christmas. Um, unfortunately, they, they all can't. It's just not going to be possible because there's not enough services to carry them all between now and Christmas Eve. But also we've got to think about the people who were booked for today, um, the next day and Christmas Eve as well. So um, I don't know how Eurostar is going to do it. I mean, certainly according to their statement, um, they don't either. They're just prioritising people who were stuck from last Saturday. So, I mean, my advice to anyone who's got a Eurostar ticket over the next few days is is look at, you know, um, planes, automobiles and ferries. Although there are difficulties on other cross-channel services as well, aren't there? Yes, I mean, I've got to say nothing looks good at the moment. Ferry operators, uh, there's about three of them, P&O, Norfolk Line and Sea France, are reporting minor difficulties. I mean, a lot of them due to the fact there's like thousands of Eurostar passengers trying to queuing up for services, but they're just about getting getting away. Airports, Gatwick, Stansted, Luton, major airports for um, for London are reporting severe difficulties, as are Manchester, Bristol. So if they're offering flights to Paris and to Brussels, where it's likely you're going to have trouble there, um, the roads are very icy uh, in Britain. And I've been told this by some of our correspondents and contacts in France. You should see what it's like over there, they're saying. Um, Eurotunnel, which offers a very good, and it's very separate to Eurostar, but offers a very good service, a car shuttle service. And indeed, a, you, know, you can be a passenger on those, a foot passenger. Um, that's experiencing problems because it can't get its staff to work because there's massive snowdrifts in North France where their staff are based. So in general, um, the best option is probably um, sleeping in your office over Christmas. And Eurostar in trouble with political leaders on both sides of the channel. Yes, I mean, um, France in particular takes great pride in its in its railways uh, operating efficiently and takes, I would say, even greater pride in pointing out when the British railway system doesn't operate very well. It's a keen point of comparison they have. And uh, Nicolas Sarkozy has seen the um, absolute mayhem on Eurostar and has called in Eurostar's chairman, Guillaume Pepe, who is also the head of SNCF, the French national train operator, and therefore a pretty big power in European transport in general, actually, and told him uh, in French to sort it out. And also we've had the transport minister, Sadiq Khan, saying that he was angry um, with the way that Eurostar passengers were left in the dark. Um, quite literally in some cases, um, over the weekend. Dan Milmo. And there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash travel. Also on The Guardian's website today... I'm Sarah Phillips from G2, The Guardian's daily feature section. Today's special issue is dedicated to 10 people who shaped the noughties and the impact they had on our lives. From politicians to musicians and a fictional character or two along the way, find out who they are and why they mattered at guardian.co.uk forward slash G2. 2,000 new plant species are discovered each year, and this year 250 of them were documented by scientists at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Kew. They include giant rainforest trees, gorgeous orchids, spectacular palms, tiny fungi, wild coffee plants, and they come from all over the world. But one was discovered by Dr Ian Derbyshire, during his lunch break. Um, yeah, so technically that's correct, yes. So I found it in the Princess of Wales Conservatory uh, in one of the glass houses here at Kew. And I spent quite a bit of time in there looking at my particular plant groups uh, that I specialise in. Is um, We have quite a lot of specimens in the Princess of Wales. So I go in there quite a bit to look at them when they're in flower. 
And I just happened to take a different route one lunchtime and came across this plant in full flower, realised it was from the group that I'm working on and quite quickly realised it was a new species. And you've actually discovered 36 new species just from the acanthus family this year, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I've been working on them for um, a a big project in East Africa uh, where they're particularly diverse in in the species. Many, many uh, very restricted range species uh, and a lot of them have never been described before. Uh, A lot of them are very rare species indeed. And so, yeah, this is just the the culmination of that research has been going on for quite a period of time, but uh, just bringing it all together now and describing all the new species. So, yeah, I've described over 30 this year. But it's surprising that you'd find one under your nose, as it were, um, you know, in Kew Gardens itself. Absolutely. That was a, uh, that was a real shock discovery. And, and of course, that's quite a, a one-off. Uh, it's not unique. We, it has happened before. But most of the time, of course, these discoveries are made actually in, out in the wild. It just so happened uh, that on this occasion, um, Swedish botanists who'd been working in Tanzania, knowing that we had expertise in the Acanthaceae family here in Kew, uh, sent a seed of this uh, material from the wild. And um, it was grown on and it remained in the collections for many years, wrongly named, actually, and which is why it, it was a chance discovery. But, yeah, so we were just able to um, put a name on it eventually, which was great. And because of climate change, of course, many species are unfortunately threatened with extinction. And so I suppose discovering new species is, is particularly important. Absolutely. Um, in terms of the wider scientific world, until a species has a name and it has been published, it effectively it doesn't exist. We can't do anything to uh, convey any information about that plant, maybe about its uses, um, about its habitat, etc. We can't conserve it in any way because we can't put it in uh, a biodiversity action plan. We can't include it on a uh, red list of threatened species. So describing the species is absolutely critical to its conservation. Dr Ian Derbyshire from Kew. Last month saw the heaviest rainfall ever recorded in Britain. In Cockermouth in Cumbria, 250 people were driven out of their homes by floods. The main high street has many small independent shops, many of which have temporarily relocated to the town's auction house. Martin Wainwright returned to Cockermouth to see how people are coping. Brass band with carols is nothing unusual at Christmas, but this one is playing in Main Street, Cockermouth, uh, which was devastated by the floods six weeks ago. Um, there's plenty still to do in the Main Street. Nearly all the shops are shut up, but uh, there's a great community spirit here and a determination to get the place back on its feet. Well, the first shop comes to in, in the, um, the relocated Main Street which incidentally had a very optimistic sign outside saying first pub to reopen. But I've come to the bookshop, which I know I've often been a customer in the past, um, and you're up here now on the first floor. And actually, you, amazingly, today you've got a book launch. Can you tell me about this? Yes. It's, it's Catherine, isn't yes, it? Yes, it's Catherine Hetherington, yeah. yeah. Where, yes, we've been launching the book called The Cockmouth Floods, and the money raised is going towards the mountain rescue and the uh, lifeboat team, I think. And it's a very handy little book. Can it I, is, is, yes. Could you mind just showing it to me? It's got an p- amazing picture of a car, yeah. which looks as though it's surfing. Uh, down Main Street. Uh, presumably that was the height of the flood. Uh, no, this is the, the picture on the front. Actually, no, because it was a night, wasn't it? The worst That's picture. right, yes. It was much higher. It was about six foot in Main Street, if not more. Um, and the book's full of all sorts of photographs taken over those two first two days. There have been a lot of appeals for people to come to Cockermouth, and are they doing? 
Um, I don't know if they are particularly yet, but um, I think they probably quite want to, but it's just not easy. So. Mm. And all the, all the time I've been here, you've had non-stop customers, um, but I don't suppose you're doing, are you, are you trading as well as you would have done down no, in Maine? No, I'm sure it will be a lot quieter than we have been, but um, it's nice to see the people that have managed to get to us. So yes, we're, we're doing okay for Christmas in a small way. So. When do you think, um, it's probably too early to ask really, but when you might get back there or have you have you got a I would hope next summer sometime but there's a lot to be done because everything's completely empty at the moment and we're just waiting for the builders to get in uh, when we're dried out I've just um I've left the bookshop now laden with books and come to the toy shop and here's Jonty Chippendale who owns the bookshop with his wife Fiona um and Jonty's also chairman of Cockermouth Chamber of Trade and he's just invited me into his office which is a corridor. <laughs> so how are things? I mean, I've just arrived again in Cockermouth this morning. It's a beautiful day in spite of the snow and the town seems to be packed. I mean, is there a bit of a silver lining, you know, that people are coming here and shopping as much as they can? Well, our local customers have been very loyal and their support's been really heartwarming. Uh, our Christmas has been disappointing had we been in the other shop, but fantastic considering the constraints under which we're working. So, no, we're very happy. Is the other shop, forgive me, um, I was in Main Street actually in October because we had a holiday in Ennerdale, but I wasn't the other one. It, it, it's, it's the yellow toy shop. Yeah. yeah. We originally painted it yellow, and because the children all refer to it as the yellow toy shop, it's had to be yellow for 17 years. Not to make light of it at all, um, because it's, it is serious. I mean, has, has it been a real clobbering for the, the retail economy? Yes, there's no question of that. There will be some businesses that don't reopen. Uh, there will be some businesses that uh, never really make up the losses that they've incurred. Um, you can split the businesses into those that were well insured and those that were underinsured, and some, unfortunately, that weren't insured at all. And obviously, it's those last two groups which are the main concern. This is the Cockermouth Main Street, and people are drilling, people are hacking plaster off walls. There's huge pipes going into the bush. Pub, uh, sucking out moisture. There's decontamination going on. Um, the Christmas tree is still here, but it's um, a lonely symbol of Christmas um, along this high street. They have got Christmas lights between the trees. There are trees lining both sides of Cockermouth Main Street, and um, there are illuminated Santas uh, as well. But um, there's not a lot of sign of Christmas here because nearly all the shops closed, the Cockermouth Tandoori is boarded up, and um, here's the yellow toy shop, which uh, I've just been talking to the Chippendales, uh, who own that shop, and uh, it's full of builders who are hacking um, not only the um, plaster off, but that noise you can hear, is that drill, is removing the contaminated floor. Martin Wainwright reporting. He's back. Lego Indiana Jones. <laughs> There's danger beneath the Temple of Doom. You can build the mine track, set the traps, and race into action. The evil Mullah Ram is after you. Quick, spring the trap, and make your escape. You control the adventure with the new Temple of Doom from the Lego Indiana Jones collection. The Indiana Jones Temple of Doom Lego set is topping many children's Christmas present wish list. But sources close to Lapland have told The Guardian that even Santa Claus is struggling to get his hands on a set. And with toy shops selling out, the price is going through the roof. The Guardian's Sam Jones 
No relation, has been shopping for one. Sam, how did you get on? To be honest with you, not very well. I covered quite a lot of ground. I started off at the uh, Argos in Shepherd's Bush in West London. No joy there. Um, they put the Temple of Doom set into their computer. They couldn't locate one anywhere in West, Central or North London. So I hopped across Shepherd's Bush Green to the Westfield Shopping Centre, which prides itself on being the largest inner-city shopping complex in Europe. I couldn't find an Indiana Jones Temple of Doom Lego set there, nor could I find um, a Lego Darth Vader TIE Fighter set, which is also very much in demand amongst the kids this Christmas, I'm told. From there, I visited an Asda Superstore in Park Royal, thinking that this was a bit off the beaten track, so it might be easier to find one there. Needless to say, there were none. No trace of Indy, no trace of Darth... I eventually came to the conclusion I'd have to go to central London, Regent Street and Oxford Street if I was going to find anything. So I popped down to the world's largest and best known toy shop, Hamley's, uh, which was very, very hot, very sweaty, very full of shrieking children and plastic being swiped. Went down to the Lego section. Yes, they had some Indiana Jones toys, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but they did not have a Temple of Doom Lego set. Uh, And... They had no Darth Vader TIE fighter either. So in a last-ditch effort, I rolled up to John Lewis on Oxford Street. Yes, they had a lot of Lego. Yes, they had a lovely statue of Jango Fett, father of Boba Fett. But they had no Indiana Jones Temple of Doom sets, and they had no Darth Vader TIE fighter sets. So there your quest ended. My quest ended there. Um, However, I did have a cursory look online at Amazon, which revealed that um, some canny souls appear to have been buying up these very in-demand toys, sitting on them and then offering them for sale. Uh, Some sellers on Amazon are offering uh, the Temple of Doom set for £144.99, when its retail price in Argos is £74. Uh, And the same spirit of uh, commerce and innovation is in evidence uh, when it comes to Darth Vader's TIE fighter. In Argos, you'll pay 29 99 if you can get one. Uh, on Amazon, they're being offered for £54.99. And you also met some fellow shoppers. There are some disappointed people out there. There are quite a few disappointed people out there. Uh, the, the atmosphere was quite English. People miffed rather than fuming and waiting to tear strips <laughs> off shop staff. There was a cup of tea and a lot of sighing-type vibe going on. But no palpable angle, anger, just some disappointment. that I think their kids wouldn't get what they'd put on their Father Christmas list this year. Why can't Lego meet the demand? Well, it seems that these toys have just proved too popular, and perhaps when some of the stores were buying stocks in earlier in the year, they didn't expect these these products to take off quite as well as they have. Of course, it's come to Christmas, people are looking for something that's solid and reliable. Lego goes back more than 50 years. Most people uh, have grown up with it, know what it's like. Uh, and it's bounced back to the top of the, the popular list for Christmas presents, and this appears to have taken a lot of people's stores among them by surprise. Well, having been into Hamleys a few days before Christmas in previous years, I think I'd rather go to the Temple of Doom. So I do sympathise. Can I come with you? <laughs> and uh, Sam, did you know that laid end-to-end, the number of Lego bricks sold last year would stretch around the world five times? I did know that, and I find it very easy to believe. <laughs> Sam, many thanks. Phil Maynard was the producer of today's edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening.